to Drinking During Business Hours. Hi, this is episode five, starring Rami Ramani. Rami Ramani, Emmy award-winning cinematographer and director of photography from Cairo, Egypt, whom has produced, directed, filmed, and starred in over 100 documentaries on ancient Egypt. Okay, so let that sink in. Oh, and by the way, he did it before the age of 20. That's right. (laughs) And on major networks, Discovery, History, and National Geographic, Rami was very generous with sharing his stories. So captivating. I loved this episode so much. Um, The show is sponsored by Massanoi Imports and this featured wine. I had fun picking out the featured wine. I selected two kings from the Wonderland Project. A Pinot Noir from Sonoma, California. Bright Pinot Noir made with flavors of muddled strawberries, black cherry, and sweet smoke. Here's our episode with Rami. Enjoy. Rami Romani. That's me, yes. Hi. Hi, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on Drinking During Business Hours. Thank you. It's Thank such you for a pleasure. Me. It Thank is you. such a pleasure. You are all things Egypt. I mean, you're you're from Cairo. I am. I and, uh, I was born and raised in Cairo. Wow. I lived most of my life there. I mm-hmm. just moved here seven years ago. But um, I was lucky that I was born into the best job I could ever have. So you were born into this. I was, I was just spoiled. I was, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't work hard <laughs> when I was two to well, get to a place. Well, you probably didn't know. I mean, this was normal for you. Absolutely. In Egypt, so, it's the, it's the way things go. Okay. Your father does something, you grow up to okay. do what your father does, you take do over what, his business. And that's, and that's the way it goes. And I really, luckily was born. My father did all the ancient Egyptian documentaries for discovery channel, wow. national geographic and, and BBC. I started with BBC at the time. Wow. So I, I grew up doing on set with my father as a kid. I was six, seven yeah. with my father all the time on all these ancient Egyptian documentaries for, for all these channels. And when I was 11 is when my father started getting two jobs at the same times and, and at the same time and three jobs at the same time. Okay, and my demand. mother can take one and my father can take one. But then there's me, 11-year-old, that needs to do something and it's time I do something. And, and, and they're maxed and they need a, a helping hand. Absolutely. And you probably know more than anyone else at this point. Well, I mean, it was very easy for me because most of these site directors like the pyramids the the great pyramids of giza site mm-hmm. director is like my uncle <laughs> i grew up i grew up with That's these amazing. guys they are they are they know me their family and i just come over and say hey my father says hi and i go in and i could get any access i want and for some reason they can trust me even more because they know a kid won't cheat them yeah right? you're 11 i mean come on and in, in your family you have a, a a history of being i mean i would imagine there weren't a lot of families with that background absolutely. Is, that, is that why they were so in demand <laughs> absolutely and that's absolutely. why they had so many multiple projects at one time because there just weren't a lot of, you know, not, not to take away that they're probably very, very talented and good at what they do, but you know, that that's, 
so this was just a way of life for you. This was just a natural thing. Yes, I was. So, uh, I remember I did a job when I was 11, and that was the first time they credit me as the local producer. Oh, my goodness. And then at 12, 11. I was watching it on the BBC, and here, here my name comes. Your film is on BBC, and you're 12 years uh, old. Yes, it, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> I went back to school, showed, like, my friends, here you go, I'm on. And they didn't get it. They're like, what? That doesn't matter. What is this? We don't oh, get it. Oh, well, they, they're 12, really? 12 years okay. old. Think yeah, about it. I guess so. But, but did you understand the enormity? Absolutely. Okay. I loved it. And yeah. since then, I was just, I wanted my name on every film that happens. <laughs> and I would go out on every show. And school came second for me. Okay. Work was first. And my father was very understanding. And I mean, well, I, I, sure. I really enjoyed it. I mean, come and on. You're you're learning so much more I, than I any agree. classroom style. I mean, you that, that is that is true education, you know, um, and travel as well. When you do documentaries and exclusive National Geographic shows, you get to see things that no one else will see. Mm. I get, I have been inside tombs and I've been inside ancient Egyptian oh, excavations my. that I would be the first one to enter because I'm scouting the location first in like a hundred years. I've been under the Sphinx at a time where the last person that was under the Sphinx was a hundred years ago. And wh whom is assisting you when you're, when you go into these, um, you know, the first person in a hundred years are, I mean, you're not alone uh, who like Why not? you are, you're alone. Yeah. Is that kind of spooky? Well, <laughs> I, it's, things are different here, right? There's yeah. a lot of safety rules and, mm -hmm. there, and there's, there's child labor rules too. And, oh yes. But in Egypt, things are not the same. Okay. The tomb might have collapsed on me, but I wouldn't even think about it. Wow. Right? I wouldn't even think I about it. I suppose it could have. Absolutely. I wouldn't even think about it because it's just things happen in Egypt. You just go around, and do things. Are, there are no rules. And there's nothing that you had to sign. There are no waivers. There are no... <laughs> no. And they're just letting this kid go in by himself. They're like, well, let him test it out first. <laughs> if it doesn't collapse, then I guess we'll go in. That's exactly how it was. <laughs> And I enjoyed it, loved it. Oh, and do you and have, I didn't die. I'm right here. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, did you have a camera when you went in by yourself, or was most, there? Most of the time, I would take pictures for the directors that are coming in, and they would see everything. And they would come over. We start filming. We finish it. We start a new new location. What did it smell like? That's a very good question because there is a smell. I would imagine. I'm not sure if you've ever heard about the Pharaoh's curse. No. Oh my gosh. I'm so into this. The Do tell. <laughs> there, is, there are so many stories and legends. Some are true. That the first time you open a tomb since antiquity, most people that would enter that tomb would die. <gasps> <laughs> or something would happen to them or yeah. some some disease would 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 come to them and there is there's of course a, a, a normal logical way of thinking about it 
ancient Egyptians in the tombs, when they, the whole idea with a tomb for ancient Egyptians is not a, like a tomb now. Yeah. Ancient Egyptians believed in the afterlife yes. much more than anyone now believes in it. Oh, really? I mean, there's heaven now, but for ancient Egyptians, they lived for the afterlife. Now, what, but it wasn't called heaven, or was it? It was not called heaven. Okay. It was called life. Oh, just life. It was called eternity. Okay. That's the whole reason, the whole, the whole concept of why idea. the culture was this, the, the way it was. Mm. You can only find tombs in ancient Egypt. Now, you never find palaces because whatever palaces they built, they didn't make sure it would last forever. But the tombs, they're houses of eternity, which is exactly what it, the, the name of the, the, yeah. the word tomb in ancient Egyptian is house of eternity. Of eternity. They made them to live forever. Okay. The, great the great pyramid of Giza is there mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. And that was a tomb. They made it so it can live forever. Now, in eternity, they need everything with them, including their own body, the, hence mummies. Okay. But they need everything else. They need their furniture. They need their gold. They need their jewelry. And it was all buried with them. But they also needed their food. Okay. And food. So it rots. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so that's not a pleasant smell. You could smell that stinge of, it's going to sound terrible, but the stinge of a dead body oh, with yeah. with I mean, old cheese. Well, that's what it is, essentially, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, when they, so eternal life would also, what kind of life are they living? Well, I mean, their, their, their life in eternity is going to be much better. Okay. They're going to get everything they want and they're going to be gods. The kings will be gods in eternity. Um, but there's a journey that they have to take. They, yes. they just don't get from, from the life they're living to the afterlife without that journey. So you have to earn it. Is it sort of, sort of like karma a little bit like Buddhism where you have to earn to get that stature? Absolutely. You have, all, all the way through your life, you have to do good things. You have to be a good man, yeah. just like nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. Including, if you think about it, nowadays, people go to church, people go to mosques, people go to temples without getting paid for going to temples, without getting paid. Yeah. It's time they spend of their daily life that mm -hmm. they're not getting paid for. But they are getting paid for in the afterlife. And oh. that's the same concept in ancient Egypt. But... People would go build pyramids for the king without getting paid too much. They get paid food, they get paid drinks for them okay. and for the family, they get right. taken care of, but they're really doing this so they can book a place for them. It's the, they're thinking about their reward. Eternity. It's like a bonus. It's like Absolutely. a bonus program in Absolutely. a corporation. No. <laughs> but uh, that's a really lame analogy, but I get it. I yes. get it. So um, has anything dangerous happened? I mean, what would be, you know, exploring some of these tombs where you're the first person to enter? Did you ever have an occurrence that was just really... I mean, D dangerous is, I mean, I, I never felt danger, but I realized danger after I've been there one okay. time, which was that time that I went under the Sphinx and mm. th no one else has been under the Sphinx for nearly a hundred years. And I went down for a, for a documentary 
Um, my wife was with me at the time, okay. and she's she's a cinematographer. Okay, is she also from Egypt? Is no. She, okay, my wife Wait. is from here. Oh, and she was filming me um, under under the Sphinx, and it was deep down under. Um, there is a tomb for mm. a god. Okay, like two football fields under the Sphinx. And we kept descending all the way down, descending all the way down, till we reached the bottom level, which had um, the tomb was an island in the middle of the water, Ooh. completely still, with no life whatsoever. The water had no life. Absolutely, and um, it made it very comfortable to breathe because the water is because there. Because of the water. But in reality, there's much less oxygen than a human needs down there. Mm. But you don't feel it. And I remember I was mm. doing all the, uh, we're filming, we're doing everything. I'm saying all my lines. And uh, at some point, my wife stopped and said, you're not saying words anymore. Ooh. And I didn't understand what she was saying. And then she said, we, we got to get out of here. And we got out, I played back towards the end. I was not saying words. Even when you got out, you were still kind of under the spell? Uh, after, or... after breathing, I was fine. Okay. But then, then looking, you... back at, at looking back at the tape, I wasn't saying words toward the end. I was just opening my mouth and saying, I was humming. There's no words coming out. So how did you meet your wife then? Are you, did you come to the, the States or um, I usually came to the to LA okay. once a year. Okay. Um, I would imagine the business would just naturally bring you absolutely. to LA. And for... we did a lot of work with the Getty Museum oh, in sure. Egypt. Oh, sure, of that, course. Uh, so we we would come once a year to do meetings and all that stuff. Uh, but um, but I would go back to Egypt to do one documentary after the other, and um, and in Egypt also it's worth mentioning Egypt. If you're not, if you don't have a degree in a university, you're not educated. You need to be educated in a university with a degree or else you're just illiterate. Okay. Well, you know, a lot of people would concur. Yeah. Yeah. So even though I did my job and mm -hmm. I was working and I loved it, I had to get a degree. Okay. And for me, it was simple. And the, the funny thing is you were so exponentially advanced I mean, it's really kind of ridiculous because, I, yes, that is kind of the conventional way of thinking that you're illiterate if you don't have a college degree. But here you are, you know, you're on the BBC since you're 12 years old for <laughs> crying out loud. Like, no, but you need to. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's just kind of funny. But for me, it was simple. Okay. I thought Egyptology is the way to go. Egyptology. So I went in and studied ancient Egyptian history and mm -hmm. archaeology and language. Okay. Um, I studied how to write hieroglyphics. Okay. I studied Phenomenal. every part of the history. I studied all the little pieces of so antiquities. Um, and it was very simple for me because I knew most of it already. I'm sure. Since I've been filming it since I was a kid. And you're passionate about those topics. Loved it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely love, love it. Yeah. Um, so it was, that was very simple. I did it. And all my professors do. They all knew me. I interviewed them all in the BBC documentaries. So all my university oh my professors gave Hilarious. Me, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but, but they gave they, me all good grades. You when had I, an when in. Maybe I didn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't deserve them. You had an in. 
thing. But, yeah, you uh, had but their I rapport. did that, and I loved it, enjoyed it. And um, then in 2009, when I was doing a documentary for Sci-Fi Channel, okay, I was called Destination Truth. It was a documentary series. Truth. Okay. Um, my wife, um, my soon-to-be wife, okay, came. Um, came as um, a camera person on, on that documentary okay. series. American. Uh, uh, yes. And um, we had a little fight before we met each other. Oh. The serial numbers, a part of coming into the country is is having all the serial numbers exactly perfect. Oh. And the, Egypt is not a carne country, and I'm not sure what, you know what carne is. Most countries, when you travel around with equipment, you need a carne, which is an international letter that okay. guarantees that this equipment is going into the country and then coming back out. You're not going to sell it or anything. Okay. But Egypt doesn't ob- oblige with any of that. So they have their own, own set documents. Of they documents. They need their own paperwork and, yeah. and just before just before the crew arrives with the gear i find out that the serial numbers are not accurate oh, so no. i emailed the person in charge mm. um her name is shara and i said hey listen i need all these serial numbers or else there's a problem and she responds back she's like i don't have enough time i can't do that thank you and i reply all to all her bosses and i go Ooh. Well, you're not getting into the country. Under the bus. And then, <laughs> and then uh, well, she stayed up all night. Yeah, she, she, she didn't wrote. understand the it was, seriness it was also maybe a at very, the time. Yes, it was yeah. also a very hard job. She went from one country to the other. The time, they didn't have enough time to sleep. Yeah. But then she came over and I met her. Such an American. (laughs) (laughs) Then she came over. I met her at the airport and I told her, I'm taking care of things here. Okay. She didn't like me too much. Yeah. Um, She didn't like that you threw her under the bus (laughs) in front of everyone. (laughs) We went through customs and we were out in like 15 minutes. Okay. I knew everyone. Didn't bribe everyone at the day, that day, but they, I, I don't have to speak about bribery. Um, it's bribery is different in Egypt. It's, I want to hear all about it. Yeah, bribery is more cultural. It's okay. th- saying yeah. thank you is okay. Is like you have to give someone something. Okay. Well, that's but, uh, and and um, kind of similar to third world countries as well. Like bribery much. is like a very big part of life. Very much. And that's just how you do business. I was really Absolutely. uncomfortable with it the first time I had been. I think my my first experience in a third world country was Peru, and people just naturally just started negotiating, and yes. I I didn't you know I was uncomfortable. I didn't get it. But that's I was very uncomfortable it, when I came here that people didn't take that, bribes. That we didn't do it. I was like, what yeah, the, yeah. It's so much easier. You pay the bribe, you get in line first. It's easy. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah. I don't think you. You know, yeah, that would that would be. But you would actually have to be prepared. You'd have to be kind of absolutely. You know, yeah. If you're broke, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, my wife brought we, we, uh, my soon-to-be wife brought. Uh, we brought all the gear in, and okay. she was just rock solid. Okay. She just took care of her gear. She knew oh, where everything so he, was. She's impressing you at this point. And I was like, I and, like. And she was up all night. She yeah. did get matched the serial numbers. Yes. She, I mean, I'm impressed. I don't even know yes, her. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, I like, I like, I like that. Yeah. And, um, and she didn't at the time still because I was that. That guy that threw her asshole under the bus. from Egypt. Right. And, um, and then we we went on a couple of days of filming. It was a ten day show, like oh, in Egypt for ten days. That's a long time. Uh, that is more than average. Okay. Ten days, and then uh, on the fourth day, we were walking around the market, and she found a ring with a with a scarab beetle, an ancient Egyptian scarab mm-hmm. beetle, 
a moonstone on it and it's a gold ring and she asked me to negotiate uh, okay. with the with the with the sellers okay. and I went in and I said unfortunately it's not for sale it's actually just for show for show um, but I had it in my pocket at that time and a couple of hours later I gave her the ring oh so romantic and, uh, and I think she noticed that that you well were creative yeah, about yeah. it I mean yeah. Uh, I think she liked it a lot. Yeah. And she still wears that ring every day. Oh, that is so romantic. And then um, and then she left. She left mm -hmm. to go to Bhutan. The, the, the project was concluded. <laughs> yeah. And you that move on and you do she the went next to Bhutan project. And, and she's. And as soon as she okay. left, I obviously knew I, I, I don't think I can live without her. Uh, but wow! She went so to in ten days, that's how strongly you had felt. I I completely fell in love with her. Yeah. Oh my goodness! In ten days, and uh, so make a great script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she uh, she went back to LA after Bhutan, um, and I was there waiting for her. And um, I spent a month, and I told her towards the end of that month, listen, long distance relationships don't work. Um, so we gotta have a plan how about you come to egypt for three months and i'll come here for three months and if we don't have a plan to get married by the end of the year by christmas of 2010 then we just break up and she said okay that's wow of a, a rigorous and and um, well thought out plan. It's practical. It's, like, it's, practical. it's, it's practical and and you had an execution strategy. That's <laughs> I'm just re like it's ready to go. <laughs> so she came to Egypt. Plan for of action. <laughs> yes. well, I'm impressed. I, uh, she said yes, dude. And then she came to Egypt for her first um, three months. Uh, that was October. That was September of 2009. Uh, one month in, I asked her to marry me. So little change in plan, little <laughs> kind That's, of that was all accelerate I the marriage aspect. Yes. Oh. And she said yes. And wow. And we got married and, oh, that and, is. and we decided to live in Egypt. That's just beautiful. So now you're living in Egypt so with why, your American wife. Absolutely. Now we you live just in Egypt. Knew. I mean, you just, that's what they say. You just know. It just works. It worked. Yeah. Um, so we lived in Egypt and she became a part of my family business. Okay. She's family now. So she became a part of the family and business. And she's in the industry. And she's, yes. yes. So it was kind of a natural Absolutely. segue. And I, I remember the first, the first show we shot together. She, she was filming with me and I was producing it in Egypt after, um, we, we, we got engaged was House Hunters International and 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 we had it, everything was great. We just had perfect. It life. sounds like a lot of fun. Yes. So you have a baby, Sophia. We had a baby, Sophia. She was six months old, and uh, we just had the perfect life. Mm. We couldn't be happier. Yeah. And then January two thousand and eleven. Okay. The Egyptian Revolution. Yeah. It hits so quick. Mm. It was just so sudden. There was no warning. You didn't have any kind of premeditated... A, a day like today. None of the mummies had told you? <laughs> no. no. Okay. <laughs> a day like today, mm -hmm. everything is fine. Tomorrow, there's a couple of protests on the street, which mm. is fine. Happens all the time. Okay. But I lived my life under one president in Egypt. Okay. Yeah. All my life. You're, yeah. Same president. You're young. It's not... Yeah. That's... 
And then Common. the protest got bigger because mm. the government didn't prepare for social media and Twitter oh. just took over so quickly. Goodness. People were finally able to communicate. All the TV channels yeah. were governmentally controlled. So there was one public platform that they can all communicate on for the first time. Mm. And Twitter did it. Twitter helped Had the that. Egyptian revolution to happen. And when the Egyptian revolution first started, it was just young men that were ready to de defy the government and the mm. corruption to start a new Egypt. And it was so lovely. And I was just on the... And you were part of that following force. It, follow, oh, absolutely. Okay. I was definitely for it. I was following it on Twitter, following it on Facebook. I'm very happy for these kids and they're doing a great job. Yeah. I couldn't go out on the streets because I have a I have a kid, so I was like, I'm gonna oh, watch. Okay, them, and, watch and, and them you're rather scenes. high profile, I would assume. It, it, uh, I mean, yes. you're you're a celebrity, it, you know, over there at not, this point. Not in Egypt. I mean, oh, I thought even more so in Egypt. It, I just I, much less because, in Egypt because oh. all the documentaries that I'm making are for American markets and oh. British markets. Okay. So I'm not a celebrity I, in I Egypt. I thought it was going to be one of those things where you know your hometown always kind of celebrates you the most, and I, I don't. No, I just, no one knew. Wow. Yeah, they just knew me as the Rami guy oh. that comes in with Thuman Cruz. And so everyone in my industry knew who I was, but I wasn't a celebrity. Hmm. And then uh, the revolution hmm. happened so fast and the government just didn't anticipate it. So two days in, it grew much more than they expected. Hmm. And they decided to start making the wrong moves. First, kill Twitter, kill Facebook, yeah, kill all the social media platforms. Yeah. And all of a sudden, no one was able to, to communicate. communicate anymore. Yeah. So there was one way of doing things, mm. going out on the street to find each other. So as soon as they killed all the social media platforms, everyone was on the street. Everyone. And there's only government TV on. So that's not going to tell you anything. No, no. Everyone so was on the street. Everyone came out to protest. It had to be a time of anguish. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the third day of the revolution, my wife is very worried now and she's telling me, maybe we should leave. And yeah. I'm telling her, it's Seen about fine. Sophia and yeah. I'm telling her, it's fine. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing is going to happen. I just didn't see it. Yeah. I said, nothing is going to happen. This is Egypt. Tomorrow, all these kids will be back home. But have you, but you have never seen anything like this. So it's it was hard no to... I no clue. Yeah, to I just predict. did not see it. And she said, when is enough enough? And I told her, well, the American embassy. If the American embassy calls you and tells you you need to leave now, then we're going to go. Good call. But that's not going to happen because okay. they mm -hmm. know this is all nothing. Mm -hmm. The third day of the revolution, the police decides to show the people what would the country be like without them. So they disappeared. Wow. There was not a single policeman in the whole country. That's not a comforting feel. In a revolution. Mm. No policeman. And Egypt is a heavily policed country. Is it? The ratio between citizens, police and military is one to five for every... Goodness. For, yes. For every five citizens, there's one policeman or a military man. Goodness, that is a lot and of military. Police just disappeared. No more policemen. And to prove a point, I don't just be because they were feeling disrespected. They were feeling 
I mean, honestly, what? no one knows now. Hmm. There's a lot of investigations and there's a lot of court Something. cases, but yeah. no one knows. But they just left, opened the prisons and left. Opened the prisons and now you're afraid. Uh, yes. The American embassy called my wife. Okay. And they said, it's about to get much worse. Leave now. And are you invited to or? And they said, we have a plane for you waiting at the airport ready to take off. Once you come in, show them your passport and you get on. She said, my daughter is with me and my husband is with me. They said, who's an American citizen? She said, my daughter. Does your husband have a green card? No. I didn't prepare any of these documents. Well, I, you didn't I thought, have the foresight. I thought I'm living in Egypt for the rest of my life. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. And she said, no, your husband cannot come on the plane. And my wife said, well, I'm not coming on the plane either. Mm. We'll find our own way. That night, we spent at the house, uh, but we started seeing on the edges of our mango farm, we started seeing uh, people jumping on the fences mm. and fire and Terrifying. fights and, and, and screams. And it, it was just a very straight, very cra a crazy night that all of a sudden, all your life, like everything is perfect. And then, and then just this, just so sudden. Poof, so we locked ourselves, we took the baby, we locked ourselves in the food storage on the top of our house, which just had one window. And we started boiling sand and oil, um, which is my wife's idea, hmm. to make sure to protect ourselves that one window, if someone tries to climb up, we would drop the sand and oil and they would burn. Wow. To death. That is um, so savvy and, we and put, badass. Yeah, my wife is badass. <laughs> oh man, that is so femme fatale. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, wow. And we put the deep freezers against the door so no one can come in that way. Okay. And was that your wife's idea as well? Yes. She, I am like really impressed. She she gets <laughs> she does all that stuff. Goodness. And um, and then the next morning we decided to flee, and um, we got into a car. And my wife is white, half Jew, and I'm Christian Egyptian minority. And I come from a richer family in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I became that corrupt mm. infidel with a spy of a wife. Wow. Prime target for everyone in the revolution. The re revolution started, took a completely different direction. So we decided to flee the country. We got mm -hmm. into the car. I, so much at stake. I mean, this had to be beyond frightening. My wife put a veil on her head to look less white. And uh, we started driving. And that drive was just petrifying from a movie. It's just... And people going the wrong way is not a big deal in Egypt. That was happening anyway. But there was just people on the platforms, on the sidewalks, buses on buses everywhere people stuck and then no police, no, no nothing, bad traffic, swords, knives, and the guns they stole from the police stations are wow. out. And, and how old is Sophia at this Sophia point? was six months. Six months. So you have this six-month-old baby. That was our biggest, that was our biggest fear, yes. And and you're driving through this total, just chaotic yes. uh, uh, mayhem of, uh, it's like anarchy. Yes. And then we're listening on the radio. The radio's the only thing we have is that that people started protecting their own neighborhoods. They would go out on the streets, create a blockade for any car that is about to enter the neighborhood 
check everyone in the car, make sure there's no danger there, mm-hmm. let them go or not. And the problem was the or not. Because every neighborhood had different political beliefs to oh, different no. religious beliefs. So we're hearing on the radio that some kids would stop a car. And you know, these are like 14, 15, 16 year old mm-hmm. kids. They, they don't think, they act first. They would stop cars and they don't trust whoever is inside or they think that's a spy or they think that's a Christian infidel. And they would just kill everyone in the car. The kid would kill with a gun, with a sword, with, a sword. with whatever, they with just, a sword? They just kill everyone in the wow. car. Wow. We're hearing that. And 15 uh, years old, they're just slashing throats. Well, and it's just, things change so quickly. I wasn't myself. Things, everything can change. Did you have anything for protection? No, I had my car. Okay. And that was happening in Egypt. Uh, the car was protection for a lot of people. It, they would just drive. Just the car was everything. And, and I a went fuel, through. In a full tank of gas. Absolutely. And I went through one neighborhood through the other to get to the airport. And um, because I knew neighborhoods, I knew which neighborhoods to trust. But there's one neighborhood that is on the way that they have different political beliefs. They have Mm. different religious beliefs. And I just don't trust those kids. Yeah. And I decided that I'm not going to stop for them i'm not gonna stop i'm not gonna stop yeah i'll just drive yeah i'll smash into their blockade and keep going to the airport it's one block away from the airport Uh, if i get out of that one block to go i will go to the airport and i remember that moment and i i i like i would never kill a person yeah i I would never yeah but in in my mind i was like i'm just gonna go whatever yeah happens happens yeah and then we're getting close to that blockade and I'm not slowing down. And there's a 14, 16 year old kid mm. with like a sword oh. pointing up, oh boy. trying to stop the car for a check. And I'm just looking him in the eye and I'm like, dude, yeah. I, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And I just drive through. I'm not stopping. I'm staring him at the and eye. And there was a reason you had that feeling, you know, uh, he was probably... My my baby is in the car. I I believe that intuition. I'm just going to go. Yeah. And I just went straight and just just barely touched his body. And he rolled on the sidewalk. And all his friends started chasing the car. But I was just gone. I was gone. Yeah. We went straight out. We drove out. They couldn't do anything. Went straight to the airport. Wow. The airport was a part of my business. I got the equipment in and out. Mm. And I knew my people. You knew. Yeah. You probably had relationships with people at the airport. Yeah. Okay. So I left lines. I went around and I paid whatever I had left to that one guy who just let us go through. We went through, everyone is long lines, and, and just all, all the foreigners that were traveling as tourists in Egypt all stuck. Wow. We went through, and we, um, we got on the plane. We sat on the plane, and there's no one else on the plane, not even the flight attendants, not the pilot. No one can get on the plane. Uh, the airport is just a mess. Each now and then, some passenger would get up on the plane, so the whole plane is there and we're sitting in two seats in business class, no one else in business class. And I look back and there's like 60 passengers maybe on the mm. whole plane. Hmm. And a couple of flight attendants make it, but the f- 
for four hours due after original takeoff time, plane is not taking off. Mm. And I started preparing with my wife, what are we gonna do off the plane once we get off because it's, it's not taking off. And then a pilot walks on the plane, closes the door, takes off. Wow. What was going through your minds at, at that point? Were you thinking that maybe there was some kind of uh, a hijacking going on with, you know, um, when you weren't taking off, that there was you were being terrorized by rebels or what? All what I was thinking about is my plan of escape again from the airport back to a safe location with mm-hmm. my kid. Right. That's the only thing I'm thinking about. That, yeah. Just started planning on that. But then we just take off. You take off. So take no off. questions after four hours. He just shows up and take now off. you're in the air. And the flight attendant comes. She offers sushi or horse meat <laughs> on the business class seats. That's take, quite a dichotomy of choice. <laughs> yes. We take, um, a, we take a lot of champagne. Okay. And, okay. Well, man, <laughs> that's worth your 25K. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're out. Oh, my goodness. We're out. We landed in New York and... So you went went to New York? Yes, we landed in New York. My father-in-law lives in New York. He took us in. He had to be so happy to see you guys. He was very happy to see us. Wow. He took us in and we stayed with him. And all all what I'm thinking about is that still, seven days, we're going to be back. Yeah. In Egypt, everything is going to be fine. We're going to spend a week and go back. You're not... Yeah. You're thinking it's a phase. Yeah. Ten days in, the government fell apart. Mm. Everything just collapsed and the Muslim Brotherhood took over the country, which mm. is not a good sign. Yeah. And the Muslim Brotherhood are not just Muslims, right? Uh, my friends are Muslim. I grew up with yeah. my friends. Yes. My, uh, I only sure. had Muslim friends no, all we, my we life. Have Muslim. Yeah, absolutely. As but, do I. No, but it's the Muslim not. Brotherhood but this was like are, a yes. different category. Yes, absolutely. And that wasn't good. So I told my wife, let's go to LA and start over. So that's how you went to LA. Or got to LA, just so New York first, but you kind of realized that probably for what you do, LA was the more advantageous city. And my wife originally lived in LA. Oh, okay. Before she moved her life to, to Egypt. Egypt. Before, oh, before so, she got so a she container has, with like, her IKEA here. furniture to Egypt. <laughs> she lived in LA. Oh, and you had to you had to part with that IKEA furniture. <laughs> yes, it's still it's still back there. Uh, in that Egypt no one can right figure now. out how to put together. <laughs> no. oh. Uh, oh man, um, so that's that's an amazing story. So that's that answers my question. How did you end up in LA? <laughs> and 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 so now your wife is. Um, what is your wife's name? My wife is Shara. Shara. So Shara's now. Um, her roots are here, and she probably had you know family and um, a comfort level here in LA. Absolutely. And then you're probably naturally. I mean, you had been traveling to LA for a, a long time with your business. Yes. So you have relationships and. Yes. Now, so we, just, we this, decided we decided to start over basically. Yeah, yeah. We'd build our life, start over, make it all happen in LA. Mm-hmm. But all all the money that we had in Egypt, we can't access. Oh wow! How frustrating! The government's falling apart. Hardworking money apart. that you one, earned. We had one credit card that was for some reason just working. Hmm. And that's how we lived our first three months in LA. We get an apartment with that one credit card. It's working still. Wow. We, we you just our, never knew if it was going to go through or not. <laughs> yes. We got our groceries. We lived our life. My wife 
started working the day we landed in LA. Of course, getting, she's a total badass. She, my wife is a badass. <laughs> we started getting camera operator jobs the day we landed in LA, and I took care of Sophia at home. And okay, Mr. Dad. And yeah, yeah. It was well, uh, but during was, this time, yes. you know, yeah. But it was it was very hard for me because oh, I lived my life working. I can't imagine the emotion, you know, and I just wanted to I just wanted to just get started, get and, going again. And what about your family in Egypt? <sighs> my family. I mean, you had to be worried sick. My sister at the time was getting her degree in uh, communications from the LSE in London. LSE in London, mm-hmm. so she was fine. My parents were on their boat in the middle of the Nile. Um, it's a ten cabin sailboat that they host tourists in. So cool. So they managed to get the tourists out on the second day of the revolution, but they got stuck on the boat for oh. six months. Six months on a boat and they got, on the Nile. It's a whole different story, too. They got attacked by Nile pirates that started wow. chewing up from nowhere. Whoa. But they were fine. They were safe. I managed to stay in touch with them while I was in L.A. But we would love to have them on the show. <laughs> hear that story. Maybe we'll, do that, maybe we'll do that on the boat in Cairo. Can we do that? That would be amazing. Well, I have no doubt that that's... Yeah, that your your parents have amazing. Have they talked about in interviews? I'm sure. Have they? They they have a crazy they scripts, have a crazy story. Books. They have a crazy crazy story of how it all took off from there. But then I started I started my life here, and at the beginning it was very difficult because all the relationships you have are all. You're the Egypt guy. Yeah. You're not the producer. You're not the camera guy. You're the Egypt guy. Yeah. So LA is different. LA, if you're not experienced in LA in our industry, you're not experienced. At all. You have zero experience. Okay. So I had to start over. I would get on Craigslist, find a job. I would like apply for like a thousand jobs a week. Oh, that had to be dehumanizing uh, I, with it, your background. Yes. Yeah. And get, I'll get one job, but, but, but it works out and mm-hmm. one job leads to the other. And then yeah. you get, you get to know people and they get sure. to know you. And, and you're and a very charismatic fellow. I mean, I would imagine. Love me. I, they and sure I, do. <laughs> I would imagine you had a, an easier time rather than if you were just Joe Schmo, you I know, think, with I think pimples. I got lucky that way. You're right. No, it, worked, it really worked in my favor. I got yeah. lucky that way. And um, and then one project after the other, you start meeting the most important people in your career, hmm. not knowing it. Hmm. But those are the people, and you don't know which one it is. But you just gotta be you gotta be you when you meet everyone. And you, if you, you if you, are, you if you do your thing, and if you work hard, you have a good work ethic, and you meet those people along the way, yeah, they become the reason for the rest of your career. Mm. Um, one of which were Jason Sands. Okay. I met Jason on, um, on, um, an MTV show really? that I day played on as a camera um, operator. Jason Sands is the producer of our show drinking during business hours and <laughs> yes. he's sitting to my right. That's why I'm, I just, yeah, that's yeah. why I'm thanking him. Yeah, if yeah. he wasn't here, I wouldn't yeah, say anything. No, I, I think <laughs> too, but you go first, I'll go second. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, Jason and I instantly we had a we had a great 
we had a great relationship. We uh, we became friends mm -hmm. quickly mm -hmm. during that show. Okay. And then and then we finished that show, and it, uh, that show wasn't <laughs> wasn't easy. No, I would imagine not. <laughs> but, but we're not yeah. speaking about it. I've heard some stories. Right? <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking too much about that. <laughs> and then uh, it was a very popular show, though. Um, Here and uh, oh, that, not, not that, that one. one. Oh, it wasn't that. that, that it wasn't that show. Actually, got canceled. The one. Oh, where, I'm but, thinking of your. I'm thinking <laughs> let's of. Let's not talk about it. Okay, all right. We don't have to talk about it. And then, and then, right after we finished that show, Jason called me for another show. I came on and DP'd, and then right after we finished that show, Jason called me for another show that I came on and directed, mm -hmm. and um, he was one of the main reasons. Um, and which show was that? Let's give some shows the plug, because <laughs> a lot of your shows were successful, Jason. So uh, We did Funny Girls right, okay. after, right yep. after the show we met on, and then we did a show with Kelly Rowland. Yes, 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 yes. And it was called Chasing Destiny. Ch Chasing Destiny, and yeah. Jason and I have that way of making shows um in in a whole like world of reality tv and making drama making people cry mm -hmm. jason has that way of i don't want to create drama i want to follow the real drama mm. so which he would he would fight with networks and he would really yes every time he would fight with networks he would always make sure he wants people to be people on camera yeah. not make them cry not make yeah. fights because and then it doesn't really become reality that's just like absolutely. what they want reality to be absolutely. it contradicts the whole purpose and he also really jason also really cares about the look of the show he doesn't want to be looked like every other show and yeah. we may we always work together to make it look like a real documentary uh -huh. beautiful but so real and um and i, I I'm, I'm proud of every show i've done with jason I, I can understand. I'm I'm proud to be associated, and I love all of his shows. Um, so now, what are you doing? What do you have coming up? Well, I also do documentaries. So you're so you're on the yes. I also and actually film documentaries. You, you film them because you have an Emmy award now. I uh, Emmy four. Uh, oh, um, you have four. Yes, you have four Emmy awards. Yeah, absolutely, goodness. Yeah. Uh, from all from documentaries, and um, you must have been hanging out with your wife because you're just as <laughs> badass now. Four Emmys. My, my wife is the badass in the relationship, but uh, but the documentaries that I, I went do a documentary in Dominican Republic about. Okay. Uh, um, microfinancing, women microfinancing. We followed the stories of three ladies. It was called Esperanza, which means hope. Okay. And and they were amazing. And then um, I just came back from Haiti, where we mm. did a documentary about child sex trafficking. Oh no, that we had to be tough. We went on a raid to arrest the top child sex trafficker in Haiti, uh, who's a woman, the owner of an orphanage there. A terrible, terrible. But rewarding at the same time. Absolutely. If you got her, absolutely. I mean, put her away forever and absolutely. lock the key, you yes. know, and bury it, whatever. Absolutely. Good, good. But while this happen, while this is happening too, because I'm an Egyptologist and because of my experience, mm -hmm. I've also gotten the opportunity to be on shows here in be the U.S. Sure. as the Egyptologist. I would go back to Egypt, film some stuff, I mean, and come back. who has that kind of background? There can't be too many of you. I mean, it's... it's Egyptian living here with that yeah, background. Yeah, with is that actually, background. I, it, I again, mean, I got really lucky. Wow. Uh, but I've been on a show called Ancient Aliens for History Channel. Yes, yes, yes. For five years now. That's well five known. Five seasons now. And yeah, that has a following. And there's more of me on it sure. on the next season, yes. That's exciting. It's great. 
So you're a celebrity here. Yeah, I mean, that's who people knows know. You. Yeah, everyone people know. Knows. People know you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really, really happy that you were able to take time out of your very busy Thank schedule so to much, be here. Uh, and uh, I hope you come back because I have a feeling there's going to be a really meaty part two. Uh, you have a lot of stories to share. We didn't really even uh, barely graze the surface. I mean, there's a lot to discuss with your background and you're fascinating. And bring your wife next time. Well, you bring Shara uh, definitely. and bring Sophia. Definitely. I want the whole family. I will. We have two more kids now. Uh, oh, okay. So Sophia. Three total. Sophia, Leo, and Gio. Leo and Gio. Yes. Well, congratulations on Thank your success. You so much. Where can we find you? <laughs> what? Yes. What are your social media? What are your social media handles? And at Rami Romani on Instagram okay. or Facebook or Twitter. Okay. And that's R A M Y R O M A N Y. Okay. Very good. We look forward to following your many endeavors. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. And I love the King's wine. The two Kings. The two yeah. Kings. Yes. So yes. thank you for listening. We're going to finish our two Kings Pinot Noir. Thanks for listening to Drinking During Business Hours. Please visit sarahjhalstead.com for information on my upcoming comedy shows. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Sarah J. Halstead. Drinking During Business Hours is produced by Jason Sands. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you may listen to your podcast. Sante. Sante.